0: With an increase of 2.5 million players between June 2018 and June 2019, bringing the total playership across all platforms to 13.5 million, not including free trials, there's a continually refined formula to the title's success, but also an achieved balance of player feedback. Zenimax Online Studios game director Matt Furrer and ESO's creative director Rich Lambert sit with QuakeCon attendees to discuss 12 years with Elder Scrolls Online and how a history of embracing change shaped the present and guides the title's evolution towards the future. I'm Sage with Gamer Loop Radio, and I'll have more after this. Roger, 0 Hello again, and welcome to Orbit. I hearken back to 2003's Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic often, and to this day, I consider it one of the most influential games I've ever played. But while writing this, memories of the summer prior, 2002, flickered to life, from what was only a a haze in the distance to a shining, gloom-dispersing beacon calling a 17-year-old self to adventure and glory. Of course, I'm referring to the Elder Scrolls III, Morrowind. I could go on in length about the hot summer in Florida spent inside fighting with my dad over the CTX laptop, and could recount the battles I lost, acquiring a shining beacon or two of my own, manifesting itself as knots on my head. This was the Memoric Seed planted in fertile ground yet laid dormant until two summers ago, June 6, 2017's release of Elder Scrolls Online, Morrowind. Finally, I could go back. Appealing to a base already experienced with the Elder Scrolls legacy and obtaining over 13.5 million players had its humble beginnings. Assembling the team, creating framework and forging partnerships with an established group of lore experts would ultimately define success or failure.
1: When I started uh, at sauce oblivion had only been out for a year and a half so fallout 3 hadn't yet launched like that, that, that that's how long ago this was so uh, for me the biggest the most interesting thing was uh, when we started development of ESO, the game that we were looking at as an open scrolls game was *Bolivia*, because, of course, this was four years before *Skyrim*, so uh, that that led to some interesting things that uh, that, that I think we'll talk about. But uh, but it was uh, you know it was a long time ago, and the first thing was setting up the team, uh, uh, finding people with online game experience, uh, making sure that we were working well with the BGS uh, team to come up with an idea for how Tamriel was 700 years before. Uh, the other games, and uh, that was basically the first couple of years for, for Rich and I was just solving those problems. Yeah, and, and a lot of structural
2: things, you know, what the hell engine are we going to use? What <laughs> tools are we going to use? How are we going to, like, it was a lot of kind of ground-up work to to get to where we are today. And we
1: have a tiny bit of lore in Elder Scrolls <laughs> yeah. to ship, to sit yeah. through,
2: yeah.
1: and we had always worked pretty closely with... I said too, from the very beginning, yeah? yeah, I had my first four months at the company, I literally sat with the BGS team and uh, with, uh, with, with the guys there, Todd and Bruce and Kurt, just to really get an idea of what the game was going to be and making sure it fit in with their plans. So that was super important because that relationship uh, obviously is important to us every day as we deal with different parts of lore and we make sure the timelines are consistent and characters are right. And, uh, Like, we just went to Elsewhere this year, and that was the first time I've been in an Elder Scrolls game since 1994. So there's a lot of discussion over what is Khajiti culture, how much do we want to go into it, and so forth. And dragons. And dragons. And dragons. dragons. dragons.
2: That was a big one. Working with them really closely to figure out, you know, how that would fit into our timeline.
0: In 2012, a new chapter in the Elder Scrolls Legacy begins, a title now considered sacred by many which still boasts a highly active player base, receiving many reiterations on multiple platforms and new content added by way of mods. 2012's release of Skyrim. As previously stated by game director Matt, during development, Oblivion formed a template for ESO. With the release of Skyrim two years before ESO's launch, how was the creative direction of ESO affected? Yeah, so it was uh, it was a big
1: moment for us because it really changed the entire world's perception of what an Rules game is. Again, it was oblivion before that, uh, and Skyrim just was such a massive hit that we had to look at what we were doing and making sure that it matched what Skyrim did. So we made a lot of changes in a very short amount of time to make sure that uh, we had first person, we had... Uh, uh, a ton, a ton of, uh, of other things. Compass, and, I remember. Yeah, well. there was the yeah. compass, and that was
2: really where we decided to do full VO. Yeah. Oh yeah, right. we decided to do full VO <laughs> because was of that.
1: And, uh, yeah, it was, uh, it was a big moment of kind of resetting a new direction for ESO, which, which before that was much more of an Oblivion-esque traditional MMO, when it came out on the other side as a small toolbar uh, compass instead of a mini-map. Um, full vo would uh, Elmer Scholes game, really. And we did that in about 18 months, which was crazy.
2: <laughs> I remember we brought in, um, I forget if it was press or some
1: early players and we didn't even have first person in yet, yeah. and they were like, well, this is cool, but it's kind of missing
2: a little bit of yeah. test feel, and that didn't even come in until close to beta, Yeah, yeah that, that was our first
1: press event in, in 2012 or something, and that was, yeah, that was a big moment of, that was like, hey, this is cool, it looks great, but we really want first person.
0: With the first strike on the team's resilience and adaptability, a path is forged that perhaps to what extent was unknown to them at the time would define the longevity of the title. That adaptability is further tested at the game's launch in 2014.
1: So we launched with some bugs that we should not have launched with. The one that stopped some players from progressing in quests uh, was the biggest one, and there were way too many bots. Um, but, you know, that those are bug fixes, and we got those out of the way but it was more the, it felt too much on Rails, it didn't feel quite like an Elder Scrolls game, it didn't feel like Skyrim. Um, so we knew we had to go in and really go through the feedback and pick on the key elements and address those before we launched on console, which which was a year later. Yeah,
2: and I think we also learned a lot as as a team in terms of types of stories to tell and how to tell them. You know, we focused a lot for launch of having uh, choices matter and really have this massive impact and what we found and the feedback we got from a lot of, the, of, of you all was those were cool, but they separated us from our friends, and so we couldn't actually play together, and that was one of the core kind of fundamentals behind yeah. MMO.
1: Yeah, a, a two-minute uh, developer uh, deep dive here, but uh, <laughs> uh, and one one of our huge goals was that the player can change the world, right? Uh, and uh, but what that meant technically is once you dealt with a situation like Bleak Rock Island, which is the uh, Ebonheart pack starting area, right? The uh, uh, the covenant comes in, and there's a battle in town, and then you defeat them, and then the covenant's gone. Uh, the problem was, if you had already done that, you were doing it with a friend, but you didn't see the battle, and you didn't see your friend, because you were separated out into a separate area, because we wanted to give you the idea that you were changing the world. And what that really meant was we were separating you from your friend. Friends, and and uh, it's interesting how design goals for games like this can lead to situations which you just have unforeseen consequences. <laughs> so we, and by we I mean Rich, spent probably uh, 14 straight weeks uh, doing nothing but removing that idea from most of the POIs of the game, so that you could then, even if you had done something before, you could then take a friend through it, and uh, and you would you would still remain. Uh, remain visible to each other. But still, I'm sure there are places in the game where that still happens because of that design decision we made in 2011.
2: Yeah, and we just found different ways to tell those stories. Yeah. Now it's not... the world is completely changed, it's this character has a different name or a different appearance or a different look, and so you're still in the same space as your friends and still yeah. play together. You, you'll hear guards talking about things that you did,
1: and only you hear that if, if your friend or your group mate hadn 't done that they wouldn 't hear the guards saying that so we figured figured out ways to do it that were, that were pretty interesting but uh, that was a big, uh, a, a big big thing we had to do between uh, pc and console launch um, also interesting is we had um, even even then we had uh, kind of three feedback mechanisms we had the community, which was uh, super vocal and very good at telling us exactly what we yeah, yeah, I think that's the word, passion. They're very uh, good at telling us and what the game they want. Yeah, yeah, it was, that, that was good, but we also had our, you know, the whole team was playing the game and figured out pretty quickly what needed to be done. But it's also interesting, even though um, there weren't, like, massive amounts of people playing in the game, we had a core group of people that played the game every day through launch, through launch, Uh, through console launch, and we looked at what they did and and tried to figure out kind of the magic that they were seeing. And we made a lot of decisions based on the behavior of that group of people, um, which which was very important for us.
0: A second major challenge was put to the team. In addition to a now living game, came feedback from the experienced player base. This again tested lessons learned from the release of Skyrim, but now with the added responsibility of sorting volumes of feedback from the core playership. Since we're talking about the now 12-year lifespan of ESO, there's no question as to the successful changes they implemented. During the life cycle of any game that receives subsequent content releases, there's a defining moment that pushes the hopeful boundaries, not only from the player base, but also the development team. What that was in the case of ESO may not surprise you, but the timing might. March 4th, 2015, only 11 months from release. Uh,
1: So our our goal, of course, was to uh, approach all of this feedback from launch um, and get it all done before we launched on console, so console would launch and the console players would kind of get the benefit of having the year of of changes. Um, Update 6 happened to be the update right before console launch, and that was where basically everything happened. Uh, (laughs) We dropped the required subscription, uh, we put in new facial and voice uh, animations, uh, we Took care combat. of the bots. We've uh, changed combat uh, to make it much more kind of visceral. Uh,
2: we did a lot so of. Champion system so was in there. Yeah, the oh, yeah. System. Yeah. champion system. We yeah. killed the uh, VR ranks, but champion system in yeah. there. Yeah. I think VR was still in at that point. Was it? I'm pretty sure it was. I think um, that was later in a different. Maybe movie. it was. Yeah. It was kind of a weird combination. Yeah, but it was a lot of stuff, and
1: and that hard work that we did over that year led to. DSO being a super massive hit on console, which is kind of when the whole turnaround started. But Update 6 is really, really what led to that.
0: 2015 was a big year. Taking into account the maturing player base in addition to the growing experience of the development team, new challenges surfaced that would continue to shape the landscape of the future. Knowing how fans of the title consumed content became a major influence in seizing the next opportunity
2: kind of saw how players played the game, where it was kind of this cyclical thing, where they would come in, they'd play really hard for a while, and then drop out for a bit, and then come back. And So we wanted to make sure that we had content for them to come back to at a regular cadence, and that's kind of where we we fell in. Yeah, I mean,
1: we made the decision that we wanted to keep people engaged in the game. After console launch, I think we had Imperial City, which came out, maybe. That was the first one. That was the very first one, yeah. And then uh, we had Orsinium already on, on, in, the, in the can because we had finished it before console launch. And so uh, that came out after like that. And then we'd had two updates in, in, uh, in six months. And we figured that every quarter was a, was a pretty good cadence to, to keep people interested in the game.
0: Something else was introduced in Ornisium, the effects of which echo in subsequent updates.
1: We, we decided that uh, we would use our PVP level scaling system and apply it to Orsinium so that anyone could play it no matter what level they were. And uh, it, it, of course, had drastic ramifications because that was what, what ended up leading to 1 Tamriel. Because uh, people. the feedback to us was, oh my god, this this DLC is awesome. Like, the story's great, which it is. But the best thing was, I can play with my friends no matter what level they are. And our guild could have guild events there no matter what
2: level they are. And God, you kind of forget yeah. the, that yeah. even used to be a thing. But yeah. It yeah, it was, it was <laughs> an entirely new concept. To yeah. us, you know, and, and really to the to the industry was kind of that freedom to play with anybody. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and so
1: Orsinium turned into the place where guilds could have events because they could recruit members. It was it was it was great. It was all because we didn't know what level to make it, basically. <laughs> yeah. And it was a really great
2: test bed for
1: us. Yeah. Well thanks for not being able to make a decision. <laughs> well,
2: we made a decision. <laughs> we, made, yeah, we made a decision, we <laughs> did not make a decision. Yeah. making it
0: for In October 2016, the Echo overtakes the source and frees players to explore new potential.
1: So Orsinium launched in November, October, late October, early November of 2015. When we came into the office at the first workday of 2016, we always have a, have a uh, the, the directors always have a meeting. of like, what are we going to do this year? Um, and we made the decision that day that we were gonna level scale the whole world. Um, and so... after uh,
2: a few holiday weekend visits, yeah. <laughs> I yeah. went over to his place a few times yeah. over, the, over the holidays and we went back and forth of what does level scale Yeah, how do we how do does, it? Yeah. What does levelist mean, what, what, you know, and that's, yeah.
1: So while we were working on Thieves Guild Dark Brotherhood and Shadows of the Hips, we were also working on One Tamriel at the same time. That's a
2: pretty big undertaking, I imagine. It was, it was massive. Yeah. It was a huge amount of work, and not just looking at quests and kind of how they interacted with things, but looking at the world and how the monsters scaled properly yeah. and how the and players scaled properly and how loot worked. Yeah. It was a huge, huge undertaking. And I don't, like, looking back on it now, I don't know how we did it, <laughs> <laughs> because it was so much work. I think it was like nine months that we spent yeah. working on know, One Tamriel.
1: Yeah, I think the uh, the directive I gave the team was... Uh, uh, In Grand Theft Auto, you don't think about what level the game is, you just jump in and play it. Like, this game should be like that. Just jump in and play it, don't worry about anything, let the game figure out how difficult it should be. Um, And that led to every zone needing to be redone a little bit, because each zone was essentially now a little piece of the final game, like the whole game is the end game, right? Every zone has a story, some world bosses, some delves, some dungeons, so... Solo play, multiplayer, big group multiplayer. And we did that on purpose, but that meant Rich and his team had to go to every zone and make sure that there was the whole game was encapsulated in each zone.
0: Up to this point, we've seen evolution beyond the original intent of the development team, which has been forged by how players play. From meeting stylistic forms fit for the Elder Scrolls franchise update cadence and changes to level restrictions and the introduction of scaling. We now arrive to the beginning of my adventure in ESO and the start of a new chapter for all. But what inspired the new term for updates?
1: Wow, so the inspiration behind it basically was uh, one of the big key things was the success of Rosinium and it showed that people really wanted bigger Mm -hmm. moments. You know, it wasn't just a, a Thieves Guild, Dark Brotherhood, which were great, but they wanted new big areas to explore. But with our team, the way it was structured, we couldn't do that in the way that we had done Orsinium because we did that while we were working on, on console. We had a little bit more time. So we had to come up with a new cadence per year to make a, the June update be a, be a giant one. And that was kind of some team reorganization and making sure it all worked. But um, I think with, the, with One Tamriel, it definitely led to a situation where we could come out with a new thing, branded with a name like Morwind or Somerset, and uh, we can attract new players to the game for it, with it because new players could come in and play the new stuff. And it's not like, you know, there's Gen 1 MMOs where you have to power level through 120 levels just to play the new stuff, <laughs> right? Uh, you, can, you can just jump in and play it immediately from the first moment. And believe it or not, that's why we call it chapters instead of expansions, because, it, uh, and that came from me, because when you say expansion, in this market, you think, Everquest, Dark Age of Camelot, World of Warcraft, right? And it's it. You need to be a super high level and a hardcore gamer just to get to be able to play the new thing. But so we call it a chapter because we want to give players the the understanding that it's just another part of the game that you can uh, that you can explore and have fun. And, and
2: uh, uh, once a year in June.
0: How do chapters impact the design of ESO?
2: Well, there's a logistical problem that we have to solve there, and the chapters take a long time to make. Um, you know usually about a year, so we can't have the entire team working on one thing for an entire year, so we have to find ways to almost play leapfrog with the teams. Um, And then the other side of the coin is the types of stories we want to tell and how they're all kind of connected. And you've kind of seen that evolution over the years um, leading up to elsewhere where, you know, if you look at Somerset, it was Somerset, which was focused on the elves. There was some werewolf stuff in there in between in a dungeon pack. I missed the first dungeon DLC. Um, sorry, Mike. Dragon, Dragon Bones. Bones. Dragon Bones, uh, that's right, uh, and team. And then we finished it with Argonians. So it was kind of this hodgepodge of stories that didn't really kind of connect to one another. And then we decided with elsewhere that we wanted to tell this year-long story that you know the entire year was focused on that so that when new players came in or returning players came in, they kind of knew what was going on and where they could start if they wanted to start, or they could just jump in and continue on the story as, as uh, they see fit and,
1: that, and that's where Season of the Dragon came from, which was, this is the first year we've done it, where all four content drops over the year tell the same story, essentially. So,
0: With Scalebreaker set for release in August 2019, and yet another chapter, Dragonhold, to follow, is it too late to begin your own adventure?
2: My answer is... No, like now is the best time. Just jump in, you know. Play the game. Uh, we have an unbelievable community. They are super welcoming. Uh, they go out of their way to help the players. Really they go out of their way to help players. <laughs> and uh, the other thing I say is, ESO is a very different game. It's not a rush to end game. You know, right. it's the experience of exploring and stories and leveling your character up uh, it's not just get to the end game get loot, and, and kind of get out and uh, because of how a lot of our systems work you're never bombing you can play with if you're a max level player and i'm a brand new player coming in i can play with you and you can make meaningful progression and that completely changes the dynamic of how you play the game
0: this was an amazing panel to listen to while i've condensed the information into a central theme i encourage you to listen to it in its entirety for more information on what's coming in the Dragonhold update. Outside of the new content itself, various improvements and fixes will be implemented that will further refine the already enjoyable experience. ESO. 12 years of resilience and adaptability. Adaptability to players' needs what they play and how, and creating pathways of expansion to expound on enjoyable features, to me, is clearly exemplified. It's common for any and all of us to be resistant to change, especially when facing negativity of our own creative work. Time and time again, they display a resilience to ego, resilience to clutching failed ideas, Resilience to short-sightedness. Embracing a collective vision, which includes that of the player base, is paramount to the continued success of any game, when all too often a three-year life cycle is all you can hope for. Multiply that by four, and the future looks secure, at least for the foreseeable future in Tamriel.
1: I think it's pretty apparent that we get better and better as storytellers every, every year. Um, you know, elsewhere was great. Somerset was great. Merkmeyer was actually really good. So we're, you know, the the stories just keep getting better and better. And now we have such a wide breadth of area in the world we can bring back characters that you love. Um, we read your posts. We know which characters you love. Expect to see, you know, uh, you know, uh, I don't want to spoil anything, but uh, <laughs> but, we, but but we brought back Cy, you know, uh, and so it's just expect to see some familiar faces, you know, uh, forever as as we keep telling stories.
0: In conclusion. ESO has been an enjoyable pastime through which I progress at my own pace. I steep myself in storyline, in lore, and the intricate detail of my surroundings. Doing so without the nagging drive to obtain the highest level or unlock the next power fantasy. I can simply be a gamer again. We would like to thank you for listening to this episode of Gamer Loop Radio. If you would like to reach out to us, you can do so by following us on Twitter at Gamer Loop Radio or send us an email at Radio at gmail.com. You can find additional episodes of Gamer Loop Radio on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Podbean. Thank you for listening to our podcast. I